kind of increases by tenfold and we can start a real positive change in the way that things are done. Hello and welcome to the One Team Gov Show, a podcast featuring conversations with awesome people doing interesting stuff in the public sector. We appreciate you taking the time to join us and we've got an amazing interview we know you're going to love. My name is Kylie and today we're talking with Vim Apadu, service designer at FutureGov and organiser of She Says Manchester. Welcome Vim. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem, great to have you. So we've seen that you've recently made it onto the top 100 Asian stars in UK tech. How does that feel? Uh, very bizarre. Uh, it was a complete surprise. So whoever nominated me, thank you. Um, yeah, it just came as a real shock. And when are the awards or when do we need to keep an eye on it? They were actually last night. Um, so they they launched the list and kind of award show last night. So it's it's kind of out there. Well, congratulations. I think you've been on a number of lists in your time, but um, always nice to have another one under your belt. Yeah, yeah, it's always good. <laughs> Great. Um, so before we do any of our podcasts, of course, we do lots of research about whoever we're going to be chatting to. Um, and I think I'm probably fair to guess that you've got a pretty strong connection to Manchester. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Although uh, not born and bred Mancunian. Um, I've lived here for about nine years now. So I grew up just outside of London and moved up to Manchester for university. And what so what was that like moving uh, up north? And, and how would you describe the sort of Manchester scene to someone who's never been? So the, the experience of moving up from London was really exciting. It was great to move to a different city that had a lot of the same uh, elements to it. So really great nightlife. Uh, experiencing Manchester as a student is very different to experiencing it uh, when you're employed or when you become a professional. I think... The way I explain it, Manchester as a community to people is um, you get to meet the people that you admire daily and it's really easy to build relationships with people and understand where you want to go for your career and how to get there. Um, And I think nine out of ten people have an open door for those conversations. So it's really a welcoming city where the help's there if you want it. That's really great to hear. We spoke to Emer Coleman not too long ago on the show and she had nothing but good things to say about Manchester and the kind of supportive tech scene there. So yeah, it's it's great to see that there's it's not just London. Yeah, absolutely. I think my my experience of the community in London is is it, it's great and there's so much happening, but it can feel competitive. I feel like in Manchester it's the reverse. Like there's loads of stuff happening. It's it's really great and rather than competitive it's collaborative so people really get together to try and make good things happen across the board even even with people that you might be competing for funding or uh, for users or anything it's really great. That's fascinating we're going to get on to some of the events and meetups that you organize later in our interview but um, yeah I can I can definitely see why that would be attractive and, and a nice alternative to the the London style. Um, so we're starting with your kind of early life and, and origin story, I guess, into your career. So you founded your consultancy, Experience Matters, at the age of 21 to help businesses harness the power of digital and technology. And we were wondering, did you face any prejudice from potential clients as a young person running a business? 
Yeah, I think actually the running running the consultancy was okay because I was able to work with people on a kind of individual basis to understand. I was I was able to show what I was doing quite quickly um, and easily. The prejudice I faced was more when I went into more of the tech side. So when I became a program manager at a Tech for Good Accelerator and um, began working more closely with investors and trying to navigate the funding scene, that's where I faced probably more prejudice. Being young can go one of two ways in the sector, I think. What I've found, and I don't want to, t- I don't want to say this is just a, a gender thing, but when I saw um, other genders talking about their age, they spoke about it with confidence as I'm only 21 and I've accomplished all of this. When I walked into a room, I was scared of people finding out how young I was because I thought it would hold me back. Or I thought people would, uh, it would devalue the experiences that I've gained. And I still don't talk about my age when I'm explaining all of the stuff I've done or experiences I've had or people I've worked with. And it's actually taken me a really long time to start saying that um, I set up my business when I was 21. It's only something I've really openly spoken about this year. That's really interesting. I noticed um, when we were researching that you, I think you were on a panel with maybe some other young entrepreneurs and um, I I recognized someone on there who was a young man in the tech scene and he has been really vocal on social media about exactly as you described. So that sort of positive messaging about everything that he'd achieved and I can completely understand why. Yeah, I mean, it it might just feel very different as, as a woman in that space. So that's um, it's still really inspiring to hear that you were able to do that and able to kind of get the success that you have. So yeah, congratulations. Thank you. I think there's also the, it's not quite imposter syndrome, but it's almost the opposite of not wanting to talk about the things that I've achieved or done. So I've, I have like a don't brag mentality and it means that I don't tell people the experience I have or the value that I can bring to an organization or situation or workplace because I don't want to come across as arrogant or like I'm um, asserting any authority and that's it's such a it's so silly when I say it like that but I still find it really difficult to tell people all of the the things I do or what I enjoy definitely yeah and speaking of all of the things that you've done we we also noticed that your early career involved some work in the private sector in agencies and in in marketing as well what did that teach you and then why did you decide to make the move into public service private sector agency working um really taught me that i needed more uh i needed to know that the work and effort i was putting in was contributing to something bigger. I'm very much driven and motivated by doing good or having a purpose and being able to shape a business. Um, When the bottom line is kind of the only driver for an organisation, it kind of doesn't turn me off, but it just makes me feel like I need to do more. There needs to be something else. And it was when I realised that that kind of social purpose or social good was one of my motivators was when I, that's when I decided to set up a consultancy and it, kind of then spiraled out of that to move towards a tech for good public public sector space and start solving some of these really hard-hitting social problems that are out there at the moment. I think the things that I've really learned from the private sector 
how to make a case for design and for design-led change and the values that it can bring to every organisation, um, particularly around making services better, more efficient. And I think that's the kind of the thing we can learn the most from when we're looking at public sector services. You couldn't have led more nicely onto my next question. So th- thanks very much for teeing me up. Um, so yeah, so we were following your journey into service design in the tech for good space and focusing on transforming public services. So some of the things you said just now around um, making public service delivery more efficient and more effective, often in my experience, it can sometimes feel like design practice doesn't align particularly closely or is, is can be quite separate from that in the sense that design thinking is is very methodical and it's very um, often very strategic and it, the trick with service design can be about how you tie that into practical and tangible delivery how do you think that that works particularly in big complex public service environments like the ones that you've worked in so I think service design is a sector I think this is something that um, everyone's still learning to do together. So how you go from the thinking to the doing and the delivery and implementation. I think that when you're looking at really big, complex problems, trying to find the smallest bit where you can prove the benefit and then scaling outwards is the best way of proving the value of the mythology and thinking and problem solving. I think as well being, so to me, um, service design is all about being flexible and tailoring the design process to the problem that you're trying to solve. And I think one of the biggest risks with service design is trying to implement it in an orthodox way. And I think we have to kind of service design the service design to make sure it's we're using the right tools and methodologies and process for the problem that we're trying to solve to meet the objectives that we need to reach. And I think that's the best way of trying to, when you take on like huge complex social problems, breaking it down in that way is what's really helped me. And what were some of the examples that you saw of that working in the DWP? In the DWP, it was it was really interesting working just one, like just navigating the space and understanding how all of the, dif- the different systems and processes work. I think I was really lucky to have an understanding of technology to be able to map kind of back-end systems and processes and the citizen experience alongside it and in doing so in trying to create kind of end-to-end service journeys I was able to then take um, if you see a, a kind of end-to-end service journey as a horizontal journey I could then look at verticals and see where the slivers of change could happen to then impact the journey as a whole. Yep, definitely makes sense. I think it's a really relevant question to to a lot of people working in, in public services, how you take something small enough to make a change and then try to apply those practices more broadly. But I really like what you're saying about being flexible with the with the tools that you use. And that's often where um, I guess criticism can sometimes get involved in terms of applying the, the same model without thinking about the context. So that's great to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's that's a risk with everything that we use you just you can't assume one size fits all for anything even if you're um delivering a new service model in a different part of the country like it worked really well in Manchester it doesn't mean it's going to work really well in Liverpool so you've got to be flexible in how you do that implementation I also think one of the things I've learned most about service design is the shift in narrative from it being just a digital thing when I talk about end-to-end services I'm really my experience of it is the full 
picture so every online interaction as well as online and at each each one of those touch points you need a whole different set of skills and team around you yep definitely we actually had a a chat with someone who was a service designer um before service design was really a digital thing and it's I, I think sometimes it's quite easy to forget that service design as a practice has existed for quite a long time and we just have only recently started applying it in the technology space um so yeah I mean definitely on on end-to-end journeys and kind of that that cross-channel thinking is is nice to see it going in that direction but then also how you can use it as a kind of organizational design tool as well is from the way I see it service design is it's people focused it's how you work with people to bring the best out of them and the best out of the service so why can't those tools and methodologies be used to build teams understand how to motivate people and create cultures and structures to bring the best out of the team delivering the service as well absolutely and and speaking about motivating people um like lots of our guests on the podcast you organize lots of communities and and meetups outside of work for example, like She Says Manchester that we mentioned at the beginning. So how do you go about that? And, and what's the the balance with the impact on you personally? So impact on me personally, uh, it's one of my energizers. So running and being involved in community events really, really energize me. So making the time and like conscious time to give back to the community is something that keeps me going and, and makes me happy. Um, <clears throat> I think the reason why uh, we, we a group of us started She Says Manchester like maybe four or five years ago um, was because we, we saw a gap in um, events specifically for women in non-diverse working environments to tell their story. So all of the events we were going to in Manchester unintentionally only had male speakers and we just thought this isn't good enough. Uh, So we created a space for women to tell their journeys or anyone that um, identifies as female to tell their journeys. And it's just, it's boomed and been a great success ever since. Um, We have had to scale it back. So we used to run the events every month. We now only do them once a quarter because the team has shrunk that's running it. But we continue to grow and have a great community of attendees. And yeah, it's it's just one of those things that helps motivate me to know that uh, people need it and there's a desire to keep it happening. And how do you think those sort of women-led or or sometimes women-only spaces can be different from some of the male-led communities that you were in previously? Uh, So uh, She Says Manchester is open to everyone. Um, It's just only people that identify as female do the speaking. So any gender can come along and listen and take part in the conversations and the debates but it's a place for women to lead the conversation. And we've got to a really good point with that, actually. So we're almost at 50-50. Well, we've got a good gender representation that come along. Um, And the feedback that we get is, she says, is unlike any other event that most people go to in the stories and the journeys that people tell are from the heart, not a sales pitch, which means the conversations and that happen afterwards are a very different take. And I think that's why we try and keep it as inclusive as possible so that no one misses out on that. That's really interesting. And um, what you were saying about kind of storytelling, and I guess maybe some of the value of those kinds of events has has also in the conversations that happen around it. Um, so it's it's so awesome to hear that you've created that that space for change and that it is gender inclusive, but but really representing what women in leadership can look like and what the the difference of that can bring. So yeah, that sounds fantastic. Um, and. 
I guess the the other thing in terms of uh, your kind of career and things that you're involved with um, outside of work, we we noticed that you are really passionate about kind of youth related programs and particularly young people developing in leadership. And we saw that you'd been on what looked like an incredibly cool leadership program um, pretty recently. Can you tell us a bit about that and maybe give some tips to, to young people just starting out in their, their tech or design careers? Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. So the leadership program that I went on was called Common Purpose um, and it was specifically for people that identify um, as being part of a diaspora. So a diaspora is a kind of people that have had to move or migrate or come from different cultures or have more than one cultural background. Um, so my parents are from Mauritius and I identify with that as a diaspora community. Um, and the program was really about understanding you as a person and the things that make you different and how they're your strength in leading people. And I think that very much relates to how I would encourage younger people to see their value and understand that every every person in any position in any organisation is a leader if they choose to be. Um, and the way we can lead doesn't have to be by making decisions or being a senior person or changing the shape and organisation of a business. It's the little things that we that matter to us. So whether that means every time you make a cup of tea, you ask everyone. Like those are kind of the things that you can hold as a value that help inspire other people to do different acts of kindness. Or I will always dedicate a certain amount of time to community events or initiatives because it's something that I hold really dear so that's a way that I'm trying to lead in something that I see value in so the advice I was going to I would give to young people trying to lead or that are trying to start a career in tech or design is take the time to self-reflect and understand yourself and why you want anything why you want to make a decision or take a job or change careers work for someone work for an organization because all of those questions are really going to help and help you understand what motivates you and where you want to get to definitely yeah and we're we're always so interested in topics around diversity and inclusion and you kind of alluded to some of that there we saw your recent blog post um which you called don't ignore my color and i thought that was really really interesting could you share some of your reflections on that so the, the blog post was kind of um, born out of feedback that I'd got around people saying that they were they were colorblind um, and that they didn't see color in how they were making decisions or um, just generally in society kind of saying, well, I don't see color, therefore I'm not biased or whatever. And I can understand the intent in saying something like that, like it's a nice thing to say but the reason why I wanted to make a point of actually I'm really proud of my heritage and my race and who I am and so to to tell me that you're ignoring it is to me um or to, to say that you're colorblind is to me saying you're ignoring a huge part of who I am and where I come from and I want to be able to speak about that difference in my experiences and my race whether it's a positive or a negative and as soon as you kind of say, well, I don't see colour, it takes the opportunity to speak about it and be open away. Um, and I think it ignores the reality of difference and ignores the fact that we all do have different experiences. So what can be seen as a really um, 
what was what was once a really positive narrative in trying to say I don't see colour or I don't see gender or I don't see age actually takes away from all of the things that make us us and takes away from our identity. And how would you translate that into, um, I guess, what what inspires you? So we, we also saw that you have an affinity with Tupac and some of the, the messages that come out of hip hop, despite some of the criticisms, quite quite valid criticisms about hip hop and um, being pretty anti-feminist. So how do you try to sort of live those those values about yourself um, and the things that inspire you? Uh, it's it's one that I've had to <laughs> I kind of fight myself on all the time. The hip hop that I tend to like is um, political and tries to make a statement. Um, I've actually over time ended up not listening to as much of the misogynist or kind of outright sexist um, music, really. But for me, there's a difference between kind of appreciating the lyrics and the music and the message versus just the beat and the rhythm. And I guess hip hop's one of my guilty pleasures. But yeah, I think the influence of the, the people that have really influenced me in terms of celebrities or thinkers are people that have all have challenged or questioned or to a certain extent um, aggravated the social norms. So calling stuff out and being clear about when things are wrong. And as soon as they've got a platform, they've challenged why things are happening. And I think that's that's the hip hop that really motivates and inspires me, where it's trying to say something and make a claim and it's getting people together around around something. And I think that's true of just music in general. Like the the music that speaks to me is the one is the music that's that's there for a reason. Definitely. And we also saw you you make a good link with Stormzy and, and having read his book and you were reflecting that some of the happiest people are the people who do what they love for a living. Um, what are some of your thoughts on that and, and how can we take inspiration from uh, those people? Yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky that I get to do what I, I love for a living. Um, I think to me, it goes back to self-reflection. Like we, You have to find out what it is that makes you happy to be able to do it for a living. And I think there's always a compromise in that as well. Um, so I know a few friends that tried to be DJs for a living because it was what they enjoyed doing in their spare time. But as soon as they tried to make money from their hobby, it took away from the passion. So I think there's also a recognition that sometimes it's good to just keep your hobbies and what you love is your hobbies. But I think you're, if you can find something you're passionate about in the work that you do, it shifts the way that you feel about work and it's all of a sudden not work anymore. It's You just fill your days with with things that you're passionate about and the, the change that you can make or what you're able to deliver or, or, or anything like that. And it's just a different conversation and a different relationship. You spend so much of your time at work, I can't imagine why you would spend that time doing something you hate. Definitely, yeah, and I think a lot of us feel very, very privileged to be in a place where that that is true for us. Um, I noticed, speaking of privilege, that you you spoke really well about um, what it means to recognise the power that we have, especially, I guess, in des- in designing uh, public services. Can you say a bit about what what power and privilege means to you, and and how you try to do that in an ethical way? Yeah, I think so. If we're all leaders, that means we've all got. A power and we've all got a privilege and no matter what 
your circumstance is there's a privilege there that we need to talk about or address and I think particularly in the design space where it's my experience of design is has been very middle class very uh like well-educated um not particularly diverse in thinking and that's a huge privilege to be surrounded by people that think the same way and I, I really encourage people to start having conversations about what that means and how it's impacting the way we design um, and the, the assumptions that it brings to the design decisions that we're making. Because the less that we challenge the way that we're designing, the less powerful the services we're creating become. Because if we're not uh, open in recognising the privilege we have, we're going to go into things with assumptions and bias. Um, and I think, to, for me, recognising that privilege is really, really linked to understanding the biases, the biases that we have. For me, once we start to recognise that and recognise our differences and openly challenging one another well, like in a, in a positive way, our power kind of increases by tenfold and we can start... A real positive change in the way that things are done. Absolutely, I think that's that's really great advice. Um, so we're we're getting towards the end of our of our chat today, and we always like to wrap up with some fun stuff. So speaking of hobbies, we noticed you were into lots of sports at school, as I was, and you were on the advisory board for the youth charter for sport. So what are some of your favourite sports to play, and why? Uh, yeah, I so at the moment I've just started to do boxing which is great. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy it and can recommend it more. And it's great because I go to um, a really small boxing gym in Salford called Salford, well, it's in Salford Lads Club, which for any Morrissey fans that are listening, you'll recognise it from uh, the front of one of their album covers, um, which is great. Uh, I love dancing, so I will take any dance class at any time, whenever I have the opportunity to. Um, and I'm a huge football fan and uh, yeah I support Arsenal for my sins but uh, my latest adventure has been powerlifting so I've entered a powerlifting competition that I'm going to be taking part in in about a month. Wow that's brilliant Um, so as well as kind of being the next Nicola Adams yeah powerlifting I've seen loads of people are getting into that into that recently especially women which seems like a a really cool shift in the sport so yeah keen to hear how that goes. Okay um, so we're going to wrap up with a couple of recommendations for our listeners Um, so can you recommend for us a podcast that we might want to listen to apart from this one of course? Uh, so not sector specific, but one that always makes me laugh. Um, so Ramesh Ranganathan does a podcast called Hip Hop Save My Life. Uh, so if you want to hear really good debates about feminism in hip hop and just general good chat around hip hop, listen to that. Brilliant. Thank you. And how about a Twitter account we should follow? B Carol Burks. Um, I used to work with B where, uh, at Future Girl. And she's just amazing. She's a a really inspirational leader and I can recommend following her on Twitter more. I'll give her a follow. And what about a book? You can do either fiction or non-fiction. So I've got two books that have really helped me recently. Um, The first is uh, The The Courage to be Disliked, which is a philosophy book on how to take ownership of uh, your present and all of the decisions that you're making. And it's just really helped me feel confident in who I am. Um, And the second is 
uh, called Cultural Intelligence by Julia Middleton, which is around how to build inclusive environments um, and why it's important to get to know yourself before you do. Brilliant. Thank you. And to, to finish off, a charity or a social enterprise we can support? Oh, this one was a really difficult one for me. I think rather than a specific charity, I I would really recommend trying to find a local allotment in an area and just seeing how you can get involved. So take that on as an, an initiative over the summer. Find, find somewhere to do some gardening and help the bees out. That's a really nice one. We've never had such um yeah, we've never had an answer like that before. So thank you. Um, personally, having been working on my tiny little garden for a while, I can see why some people get into it. I never thought I would be one of those people who was a garden person, but apparently there's there's something in it and I really love it. Being in dirt is really good for you. So just do it more. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, all the all the bee friendly plants as well. Totally plus one to that. Cool. Um, so Vim, thank you so much for chatting with us. It was it was really good to get your reflections on tech for good, especially on uh, as an underrepresented community, and and really being energized by that and and reflecting on our position with power and responsibility um, in equal measure. So yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. So Kamala, we're really sorry to have missed you. What happened? Uh, so living on the other side of the world means that winter has finally struck New Zealand. So think loads of wind and tons of rain. And so I finally caught this cold that's been going around my office. So unfortunately, I couldn't make the interview, but it still sounded like such a good one. How did it go? Yeah, really well. What What an interesting person to chat to and just really really conversational as well there was there was no kind of run into the chat and it felt like we got into the good stuff super quickly I was doing a lot of the research obviously before we we chatted and I think afterwards she was quite surprised at how much digging we'd done as as always um and just what really struck me first of all was and I'm sure a lot of people say this but just how much she has done and how much she's involved with for still being pretty young what did you reckon of that? Yeah, what another badass to have on the show. I mean, as we've talked about before, I'm always really impressed by people who found their own company at a really young age, especially having joined the private sector for the last couple of years. It's just really impressive to me. And I thought it was really interesting how she talked about her age and working in the tech sector and how she actually doesn't talk about it a lot and has only started sort of revealing herself as a, a younger person recently. And it really struck me that that's a big discrepancy you often see, especially when it comes to funding, as she said, that men are often seen as these sort of wunderkind in front of these VCE funds, whereas women can be perceived as inexperienced. And also that feeling of not wanting to brag about yourself is sort of an anti-pattern when you're going for funding rounds. So it was interesting to see that as a kind of um, pattern. And I'm really pleased that she's said that now she's kind of embraced it and uh, is talking about it. But I can totally see why you wouldn't want to do that. I mean, even I recently found a couple of grey hairs and I was like, oh, brilliant. Maybe now I'll be taken seriously more. <laughs> no, I, I still don't think you will be. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I, again, during my research, 
she's done lots of interviews and there's there's plenty of them in the in the public space including an interview on BBC Breakfast and and lots of really high profile stuff and definitely um completely to her credit she does not come across in any way to be inexperienced completely the opposite so yeah i think um an, a nice kind of balance of reflecting on her achievements but also on what it means to be a young woman in the tech space she also chatted really well about the blog post that that we'd found, which was about not ignoring her color. What did you think of that? Yeah, I loved what she said about the intent of people talking about being colorblind or not seeing color versus the reality of what that actually looks like. So the the first thing to say is obviously being colorblind is fundamentally not true like we all have institutional biases no matter like what color or where we come from um and we need to be able to check ourselves but what i loved about what how vim put it was that often your background can be a core part of your story and yourself and your identity it can be a part of what really makes you great and can be a really positive challenge within organizations. And so to dismiss that can often feel like you're being erased in some way. So whilst people feel like they're saying something that's really positive about themselves and their relationship to you, actually it can feel like very negative. And I thought the way that she articulated that was really powerful and yeah I kind of wanted to um take that blog post and and send it to whoever says that next I thought it was really really powerful and really good yeah definitely um I would really encourage everyone to to read the blog post and we'll, we'll share it in this episode description but something else that she covers in that is she makes a comparison between people saying oh, I'm colorblind, um, is, is not the same as if you were to try to say that you might be gender blind or age blind or, or something else that's still relatively obvious. And, you know, why do we not find it acceptable, but why is it more common for us to hear this kind of excuse or this defense about being colorblind is, is just as unacceptable as we would consider it to be for any other protected characteristic. So yeah, that was that was a really interesting angle that she brought up as well. And she's just generally awesome at chatting about diversity and inclusion. And I particularly liked some topics that she's covered online as well about power and privilege and and what it means to use your power for good. What did you think when she was sharing her her mission to, to change the world? Yeah, I thought that was great. And I thought it was really interesting how she talked about privilege and how you should try and use your position of privilege no matter where it is in an organization to bring challenge to things that you perceive as not good or unjust or just something you can change really and that really that passion for making a difference that she talked about multiple times in various answers really came across strongly in a lot of her answers also love that she linked it back to (laughs) hip-hop and talked about it being one of her guilty pleasures. I mean, hip-hop artists like Tupac really brought a lot of humanity and brought a lot of context to communities that were really maligned at that time that he was alive. So yeah, shout out to Tupac. And I love how she just just like really kept it real there. Definitely. Yeah. There was also a little Stormzy reference for, um, for some of our friends who are particular Stormzy fans. So 
yeah go for that <laughs> um there were the other topics which i really loved that she she spoke to was about um, the application of service design and i particularly enjoyed her reflections on it being a a relatively new concept in some ways in that talking about applying that to tech for good and in in that vein of public service delivery but actually that academically it's a, it's a really old concept and as a as a methodology it's been around for a really long time and i i just loved what she said about being flexible and, and tailoring the design practice to the service um and how it's not really about you know a template that you can lift and shift onto any kind of design of, of public services, but you really have to understand the methodologies well enough to be able to apply it in the right way. Um, and I thought that was a great lesson for everyone who's working in um, public service delivery, not just in design, but in the delivery space overall. Um, so one of the parts of the interview that I thought that you sounded the most excited, Kylie, was when she talked about sport, another fellow, uh, another sports fan. <laughs> I was absolutely dying to that, get that question in at the end there. I'd seen that she was an Arsenal fan and I um, I was going to go down that angle, but actually just chatting about sport generally because um, I could see from, from her bio that she played loads of sports at school, just like I did. And I could, yeah, I, could, I just loved that she hadn't, um, she hadn't stopped there and she was going into things like boxing and weightlifting. And yeah, it was just really cool and inspirational and, and just felt like it was, bringing a lot of fun to it and not just the kind of traditional competitive spirit. So yeah, um, big up to everyone trying out new ways to kind of feel feel fit and healthy and good about themselves. So that was ace. Yeah, for my sins, I have recently taken up CrossFit in New Zealand. And so just shout out to all the powerlifters. That was really cool. Women who powerlift are really badass, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I saw on Twitter that One Team Gov Wellbeing, the camp was an absolute hit. What have you heard about it from back in the UK? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was all over social media today. And yeah, I, what a fantastic event. And I saw it sort of emerge in, in thinking months and months and months ago when we were talking about things like burnout and how when you have people working on such kind of big, important stuff as, as we do in public service delivery, how you can help to keep your own mental health and your own well-being um, really positive. So it was great to see that grow into such a fantastic event. And as ever, anytime there is something that ha- manages to happen outside of London, very th- thumbs up to that as well, because it's, it's not just, <laughs> obviously not just London, as Bim said as well. So yeah, big shout out to all the organizers. Uh, saw lots of awesome activity from people like Noor and Joanne and Amanda. So thank you to the One Team Gov crew in the UK and look forward to hearing more about it. And that's it from the One Team Gov show. If you enjoyed this episode, you can download, listen and subscribe through all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Blubbery, Spreaker, Acast, Radio Public, Player FM, Overcast and Podbean. We're also available on Amazon Alexa. See you next time. See you next time.